0: Hello and welcome to another Bunker Daily. My name's Andrew Harrison. If you're a first-time listener and not one of our subscribers, then it's entirely probable that you've been guided here by an algorithm. Somewhere inside Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google or one of many other players, a piece of software looked at your behaviour and your preferences and it decided to show you the bunker. In this case, it's worked. You're listening. We're delighted. We hope this is the start of a beautiful relationship. We hope you'll want to subscribe and support us on Patreon so we can keep on going. But... An algorithm-driven world is filled with danger and worrying philosophical questions too. Media, advertising, retail and increasingly politics in the health industry increasingly rely on algorithms to spread their messages – without taking account of the consequences. These evolving chunks of code stand accused of strengthening and propagating racism and bias in society. Machine learning analyzes data from the real world, so it will just magnify what it finds. Algorithms charged with making social media clips go viral don't care what's in those posts, so they may push disinformation, sensation and whatever makes you angry. And increasingly ubiquitous algorithms are undermining some of the basics of what makes us human beings. Are the choices we make or even the things we believe really our own? Or have we been shepherded towards them by new entities that can understand vast crowds of people in detail never before possible and then use their own preferences to shape them? Are we tinkering with free will itself? Here to help me understand all this is Kartak Hasanaga, Professor of Technology, Digital Business and Marketing at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and the author of A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence, How Algorithms are Shaping Our Lives and How We Can Stay in Control. Kartik, hello, welcome to The Bunker. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. I may be starting with a really stupid question here, but... What is an algorithm in the sense that we talk about it here? You know, contemporary tech giant algorithms in the sense that they differ from the traditional use of it in basic math.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you can think of an algorithm quite simply as a series of steps one has to follow in order to get something done. And I guess a simple way to think about it is let's pick our favorite recipe. For me, I make a mean omelet, so I'll use that as an example. To make my omelette, there is a series of steps I follow. You would normally call that an omelette recipe, but a computer programmer would call that an omelette algorithm. So any computer program you look at, whether you're listening to music on Spotify or watching something on Netflix or even shopping on Amazon or some other website, the software behind the scenes is following a series of steps to get certain tasks done. And that is essentially what an algorithm is.
0: I I listed a couple of basic cases there advertising choices political messaging disinformation that that thrives because it angers these are these are often the byproducts of the algorithms we're talking about but our algorithms also operate at a deeper level to shape our lives
1: yeah i mean algorithms first and foremost i would kind of say let's acknowledge that there's two sides to algorithms they clearly create a lot of value for us by helping us make faster and better decisions than we might otherwise make. You know, every time you're looking for a book on a certain topic, you go to Amazon and you type in a search word, you know, Amazon's algorithm decides which products to showcase on top and which ones at the bottom. When we go to Facebook at any given instant, there are probably thousands of messages that Facebook's algorithm could show us because they're being posted by all our friends. And it would be practically impossible to just go through all that information if there wasn't an algorithm trying to guess what content might be of interest to me. Because if there were no such algorithm, you would order those results by recency or randomly, and that's not going to help much. And so they add a lot of value in combing through all this information, whether on Facebook or Twitter or even on Google search, right? So they do help us make decisions better. But, you know, the flip side of that is that many people believe that, you know, algorithms are just providing us information and we comb through that information and we make our own choices. And a lot of the evidence suggests otherwise. And there's, a you know, many research studies that show that, our choices are driven to a large extent by algorithms for example one research paper written by data scientists at netflix suggested that 80% 80% of viewing hours streamed on netflix originate from automated recommendations and similarly another study suggests that anywhere from a quarter to a third of sales at amazon originate from automated recommendations and even at youtube over 80% of the time that we all spend on YouTube are attributed to algorithmic recommendations. So they are not just, you know, helping us make the decisions that we would have anyway made, make it faster, but they're also influencing those decisions themselves.
0: So we're, make, we're making a choice, but we're actually making it from a set of choices that have been made for us beforehand that we are unaware of.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, you know, anytime you, you know, let's say we're traveling somewhere and we're searching for a hotel on a travel website or you're browsing online dating profiles and even deciding who to date and perhaps eventually marry, you know, we have this sense of free will by making the final decision. But the fact is that 99% of all possible alternatives were excluded by algorithms and they decide which five or 10 we get to see and choose from.
0: You've said that in terms of the impact that algorithms are having on our lives and on the choices we make, we're only getting started. What did you mean by that? And, and how, how far and how
1: fast will it go, do you think? Well, yes, I mean, we're still in very, very early days of algorithmic influence on choices. Uh, if you think about it, we are still not at a stage where, you know, algorithms are highly advanced and highly intelligent, where they can make autonomous decisions. For us, And we'll get there with artificial intelligence progressing as it is doing, where these algorithms, first of all, could be making choices in more personal and far more important parts of our lives. But furthermore, they could also be making it autonomously. So, you know, whether that is, you know, walking in, you know, home after work and, you know, just saying you know through voice instruction you know find a show for me to watch or find a movie for me to watch or tell me what's the top news story of the day and you know our political views might be shaped by algorithms or just going into your car and just sitting there and the car decides what's the 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 route to take from your you know source to the destination so as algorithms become more intelligent and therefore more autonomous their impact on our choices, and everything else, really, you know, who we are at the end of the day is a sum total of a bunch of choices we've made, what information we've been exposed to, who we meet. All of these could be influenced by algorithms over time.
0: You've also said that you think we need to build up in, in our societies a more nuanced uh, understanding of of how algorithms think, or think in inverted commas, and accept that they often think more like their creators than than, than we w- would imagine. You know, for instance, that, you know, they reflect the biases of their creators. They reflect the background of their creators. The most infamous example is, is you know, the, the racist HR program where algorithms scan CVs or resumes, and they don't just reject people of color by their name, but from a cluster of data points that inadvertently happen to select out non-white people how are we going to be able to compensate for that if we are placing more and more decisions in the hands of what you've effectively described as a as a kind of digitized recipe
1: yeah so there is a lot of nuance here if you look at let's say we go with your example of an algorithm that is screening job applicants you know this was an actual instance where amazon used an ai based algorithm to try and screen job applicants and You know, the problem is actually quite acute for Amazon where they're hiring hundreds of thousands of people a year and probably getting several million applications a year. You cannot have a human being process, all of that. So you use an AI-based algorithm that looks at all your past applicants, looks at which ones got invited for interviews, which ones got a job offer, which ones have got promotions, and then uses that to figure out you know, how do we screen job applicants? And it's a great idea in theory because, man, there is simply no way you can have human beings comb through millions of job applications. And so you build an AI system that's using past data to screen job applications. And it turned out that this system had a gender bias. It was biased against women. And if you think about why that's happening, it's not like somebody programmed that bias in. It was not that a programmer hated or disliked women applications and applicants and coded this program to be that way. The issue was this is an AI system that is learning from past data. And historically, it turns out that, you know, maybe there are biases in the interviewer profiles, in the HR teams, and they have been more likely to make an offer to a male applicant even when there's a woman applicant with the same qualifications? And if so, then the AI system picks that up. And so you think, okay, you know, one way to fix it is to hide the gender of the applicant. Well, the system will start focusing on the name and start figuring out, hey, you know, usually when somebody with the name uh, Elizabeth applies, eh, it doesn't work out as well because they don't get promotions, they don't get job offers. So I'm going to uh, be biased against the name. So you say, I'm going to hide the name then the AI system starts to see interests of the applicant or other such things and eventually gets at some variable that is a proxy for gender. And so it's a very hard problem to fix. But I will say this, the bias is coming from real biases that past decision makers have made. So it's not like the AI is more biased than humans. It's really reflecting the biases that are already in the system. Where it gets challenging is that human biases do not scale the way an AI system can. If you have a biased interviewer, they might affect a few thousand applicants whose applications they screen. But if you have an AI system that can make decisions for all applicants, then that really scales a lot. So that's the fear. And so I think, first of all, it starts with recognizing where the bias comes from and also recognizing the biases are already there the challenges that it's scaling with AI, and once you recognize that, then we can start to think about how to fix it.
0: Part of the disquiet with it, with algorithm led you know, major projects like like this, like as you say, like hiring on a, on a grand scale, not just that biases in, that you can you know biases introduced in an artificial system, but fundamentally there isn't a human being behind these decisions to carry the can, as it were. You know, a biased HR professional can be found out sacked or otherwise sanctioned, they're a human being who's made those decisions and we can focus upon them and we can make an example of them. We can say this is a bad thing. With an algorithm, you can't sue an algorithm. You can't you can't punish it. You can't put it on administrative leave. Is that part of the disquiet with handing our decisions over to these mathematical entities?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact researchers have been looking at, you know, what drives trust and comfort with algorithms. And indeed You know, a lot of the evidence suggests that, first of all, we are more forgiving of human failure than of algorithm failures. So if a human being makes a mistake, we feel that that's part of, you know, a human decision maker at some level. Of course, you know, maybe there are levels of mistakes that we are accepting of versus not. But we are, in general, more forgiving of a mistake made by a human than the same mistake made by an algorithm. And with algorithms, we have the wrong mindset. We think of them as rational, logical, infallible machines. And we forget that they're coded by humans and they're trained based on past data, and that data is really reflecting human decision makers. And therefore, they're susceptible to the kinds of biases we see in humans. And I think because we have a wrong understanding of algorithms, we tend to hold them at a much higher standard. The second issue is also that, you know, again, the research shows that people want to have some control. When you do not have any control, when there's no human in the loop, then we worry more about these failures in algorithms. So trust in algorithms drops. The fear of an algorithm goes up quite dramatically. When an algorithm is making decisions autonomously without a human being able to overrule the algorithm or exercising some oversight of the algorithm. So a lot of my research suggests that giving humans some control, having a human in the loop, creating greater transparency about what the algorithm is doing, all of that can go a long way in increasing trust in these systems. And the last thing I want to mention is that even though I've written an entire book called A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence, which is focused on these risks of algorithmic decision-making. I'm ultimately an optimist. I'm an optimist because I feel that in the long run, it is easier to correct algorithmic biases than it is to correct human biases. Because to correct human biases, you have to really get through, appeal to emotions, and also handle misinformation and preconceived beliefs, all of which is very challenging. In contrast with an algorithm, once you recognize the bias, you can actually code into the system ways to fix the bias. So we have to worry about algorithm biases a lot because they scale in ways, human biases don't scale. But if we find them, we can fix them. And in the long run, we have a better chance of fixing algorithmic bias than human bias.
0: I think, though, that perhaps it's not just a question of of accuracy and tinkering with the algorithm and weeding out the biases, but that there is a fundamental philosophical issue here that decisions about humans should be made not at arm's length, but close up by humans. I mean, I found an example in that algorithms are now being used to predict convicts' likelihood of reoffending and therefore whether they get parole or not. But the data the algorithm is using is the previous behavior of people like this and not the current behaviour of the individual that's being judged. It's purely statistical. And it's not a human being making a decision about whether this convict deserves parole or not. So effectively, we're kind of putting people, putting individuals at a crucial moment in their lives under the command of a purely statistical construct, when in fact a lot of people would say, you know, you actually really need another human being to look at this case, speak to this person and develop an informed understanding of whether they're likely to reoffend or not. What would you say to that? That In in a choice between simply making the, the algorithm better or making the human being make the decision, which is the preferable path, do you think?
1: So I'm a firm believer of the idea that high stakes decisions, for example, when we're talking about a doctor trying to make diagnosis or a doctor trying to make treatment decisions or a judge trying to make sentencing decisions based on some estimate of whether this defendant is likely to re-offend. I do believe that there should be a human in the loop. And in fact, ideally, there should be a human making the final decision. I don't think algorithms should be making the decisions. I do think algorithms can be great decision support tools, and we should use them as tools in those settings. And if we do use them as tools, we have to train the decision maker to understand how the algorithm was trained how it works how is it evaluated and where does it go wrong at times and i think once those decision makers are trained they can better rely on algorithms i don't think we should move to a world where algorithms don't exist or don't are not used i worry that you know if we approach this like you know luddites let's say then the fear i have is that we're going to a system that is anyway broken, that anyway has biases, that is anyway problematic. We want to actually improve it. Let's make sure for high stakes decisions, they're made by human beings. The goal should not be to build autonomous systems, in my opinion, but let's definitely use algorithms for decision support. And furthermore, to your earlier point, I think there is room for suing algorithms, because those algorithms made by companies that are deploying them, and if those Companies are misleading the users of these algorithms about the capabilities of the algorithms. They should be held accountable. So I do believe when you're talking about algorithms in high stakes settings, regulation might also have a role to play there.
0: So you're not calling for a Butlerian jihad like in Dune. I get that. We're not going to outlaw... Machines that think like minds, but there are there are two kind of clear objections to that. One is that unlike a human being or a, or a collection of human beings, it's extremely hard to understand an algorithm how it works. These the Google algorithm, for instance, is fantastically complicated, and it's almost something that no one individual can can themselves understand. And the other is that they're private IP you know, Google's news algorithm is arguably more powerful than a lot of countries' legal codes. And yet it is private intellectual property, the property of Google. So do we need to somehow, A, open the box so people can understand how these algorithms work and B, make them more kind of open to regulation or, you know, some kind of democratic input? Because we have created these very, very powerful entities and they're like black boxes that we can't see inside.
1: Yeah, again, great question. You know, I would say that First, we have to really think through what it means to open up the black box. There have been misguided attempts to open up the black box. For example, when there was a stock market crash in the U.S. a a few years back that was driven by algorithmic trading, the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission here in the U.S. initially was exploring making a regulation where they could force a company to reveal their source code whenever they wanted to subpoena them. Now, if you make the company reveal the source code, there are IP concerns, as you mentioned. Similarly, by the way, the New York City was considering a mandate where any algorithms used for municipal decisions, we would have to post the source code for that. And again, there are IP concerns that the vendors would have. And it's not just IP concerns. The moment you post the source code somewhere, it also makes the software vulnerable to attacks because somebody else, a hacker, knows how these systems work and they can attack. So in my mind, opening the black box is not opening up the source code. In any event, most modern artificial intelligence-based algorithms are systems that are trained on data. So if you look at their source code, you're not going to understand the logic anyway. Instead, opening up the black box is really all about understanding How is the algorithm trained? What kinds of data? What kinds of tests were done? Which are the most important variables that are driving the algorithm's decisions? So to be able to say that in a sample of 10,000 cases, we found that this algorithm focuses heavily on where, let's say, this person stays. And if so, then you immediately wonder why is that even important to decide whether this algorithm will reoffend? And we know that where a person stays is correlated with things like race and other things. And so that becomes an issue. So I think it's a really a matter of understanding what various tests are revealing about, you know, the variables and the factors that drive the data decision. Furthermore, you could also for high stakes algorithms have external audits. So we're not suggesting, or I'm not suggesting that the end users have to know the nitty gritties of Google's algorithms. However, having auditors come in and audit the algorithms and run certain kinds of tests for, again, not every algorithm out there, not for algorithms in low-stakes settings, but for algorithms in high-stakes settings, like in sentencing decisions and so on. So, So I think there are solutions. And I think the last point is that education has a really important role to play here. Algorithms already play such a significant role in our lives. Most of us don't understand algorithms. Most people have not been through any course in their school that has even explained to them what an algorithm is and how they work and how they drive choices and what to watch out for. These are basic computer literacy things that are needed in the modern era. We cannot live in a society where data and AI and algorithms in general are going to drive so much impact and we don't understand it. And so I think this has to go into schools. And this stuff is not that complicated as it sounds. It sounds complicated to many of us because we have not even seen the basics of it. But if you're exposed to the basics in elementary school and in high school and so on, a lot of us will be far more educated about these systems. And it's going to be so important that I think it's absolutely essential to rethink computer literacy and algorithm literacy in in schools. Can you game an
0: algorithm? Can, you know, Do you in your daily life have that phenomenon of like, you know, my phone is eavesdropping on me because it's decided to advertise mattresses to me, but it's in fact, it turns out it's because I've done a lot of long distance driving and that's kind of implied that I'm moving house. Do you sort of look at the stuff that digital services serve to you and go, they're gaming me? The the algorithm is is trying to manipulate me here.
1: Yes, you could absolutely game an algorithm if you wanted to. So... I'll give you an example, and this is not gaming an algorithm, but it might give you some ideas on how one we can do that. There was a study done at Facebook a few years ago where they wanted to see what is the impact of their newsfeed algorithm on people's decisions to go vote for an election. Not even who they're going to vote for, but just will they vote or not. So they conducted a study in which they changed the newsfeed algorithm for some users and showed them more hard news, you know, at that time in 2012, more stories like about the war in Iraq, as opposed to, you know, videos shared by friends about cats in boxes, let's say. Then they measured how many of these users clicked on a button that uh, Facebook had during the U.S. elections in November 2012, And that button said, I voted, and it was a way for users to self-report whether they voted or not. They then compared the self-reported voter turnout of the group that had the newsfeed algorithm modified to show more hard news against a control group whose newsfeed algorithm was not modified. And they found that the voter turnout increased from 64% for the original sort of non-modified group to 67% for the group whose newsfeed algorithm was modified. So they were able to increase voter turnout by 3%. And that's an example where, again, 3% might not sound like much, but, you know, outcomes of many elections in the U.S., including the 2016 U.S. presidential elections, were determined by far smaller amounts. And so you can modify an algorithm to induce people to go vote. And of course, if you can induce people to go vote, you can also change their voting decisions by sharing certain kinds of news stories. So you could also make them lean more left or lean more right. So yes, you can absolutely have these kinds of impacts. And this is a big issue that policymakers should worry about that, you know, at the end of the day, you and I as end users should worry about as well. So cat
0: videos are a voter suppression tool. I never knew it.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. Just finally
0: before we wrap up. I mean this is fascinating stuff and it's the increasingly the world we'll we'll be living in. What is your practical advice to the listeners? Is just killing off all your cookies enough or do we need to just accept that this is the way it's going to be and stop worrying and learn to love the algorithm?
1: Well, there's good news and bad news. The bad news and there's a lot of it. The biggest bad news here is that You know, we are so far down this technology and and AI and algorithmic tsunami is coming towards us. There's not much that we can do as individuals when that kind of tsunami is coming against us and we're not able to stop it at an individual level. At an individual level, all we can do is be aware of how algorithms are driving choices. And that is both our choices as well as choices and decisions others make about us. And when we are aware of it, we can take action. For example, if you apply for a loan and the loan is rejected, we would want to understand why. We would want to know, was an algorithm used? What kind of information did the algorithm use? So I think these are things that you know we can get individually savvy about. But I think individually, it's hard for us to prevent this algorithm tsunami. And that's where one can... You know, collectively as a society, push back a little bit and ask for some controls. Ask the technology firms who are rolling these out for some controls and ask regulators to get smart and savvy about this and ask them to put in some controls. You know, it's very hard when really we're so dependent on regulators or the decisions made by tech firms. So, in some ways, that's bad news. But the silver lining here is that. 10 years back when I used to talk to my students about data privacy and the consensus in the room at that time was we are in a post-privacy world and that we are not able to prevent the actions firms are taking. And, you know, the value from these systems are so high that most of us are overlooking some of the costs. But fast forward to 2021, you're starting to see that people have gotten savvy about privacy. People are pushing back on companies more and asking, why do you need to know this? There's regulation, like in Europe, there's GDPR. And so I think we're starting to see how people's attitude towards privacy is changing. And so a lot of that, I think, can happen over time as we all get educated. And collectively, we demand more controls from both the technology firms and from the regulators.
0: Kate Hasanaga, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me. Very
1: thought-provoking. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great joy to have this conversation.
0: A Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence is available now in your local algorithm-driven digital bookstore. Listeners, if you'd like to snub the algorithms and assert your humanity, then why not support The Bunker on Patreon? If you like what we're doing, you can help us to keep doing it for a few pounds a month and get the podcast early and without ads as well. Search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Again, more algorithms, but you will get there. We'll see you next time. Remember, like and share, or the algorithms win. Or do they win anyway? This is Andrew Harrison, Variant B, in the bunker. Thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Theme tuned by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmaster's production.